Yes, I love the idea of, of connecting, being together, where we go from sitting in rows here at church to sitting in circles at Connection Camp and have more of a chance to, to talk with one another and get to know each other better. It's a wonderful time. Well, as was mentioned earlier, uh, we are in a sermon series to kick off the year, folks, on the kingdom of God. And just there's some uh, uncertainty that Ben had as well. Not you're allowed to yell out while I'm up here. You can yell out positive things while I'm up here. <laughs> so, so just to clarify any misconceptions, positive things are always welcome. Uh, love the amens, right, Norm? There we go. <laughs> and whoever else wants to join Norm in those, uh, you're more than welcome to do so. So we have been talking the last couple weeks about the kingdom of God, which is the central mission of Jesus Christ. Uh, first words he spoke, I've come to reveal the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come near. And because that was so central to his mission, mission as followers of Jesus Christ, as, as a church that longed to promote those things, it is central to our mission and to our vision. We started this series by asking the question, are you ready for the kingdom? And in order for us to be able to answer that question, we discussed how we need to, first of all, know what the kingdom is and how we gain access to that kingdom. And we defined the kingdom of God as, as the sovereign rule and reign, that sovereign rule of reign over all that exists. But it's not just this reign that is, that is transcendent and out there. As Jesus came and announced, the kingdom of God has come near. It has come near to the point where it can rule and reign within a person's heart if they will allow him to do so in their lives. And so because he was bringing the kingdom of God near to people's hearts, it calls this opportunity for people to, to reconsider their approach to life in light of Jesus' presence. And they now have this opportunity to live according to God's eternal purposes in the world around us, in the world in which we live. Now, if a person chooses to make that, that step, if they accept that invitation, there's this need then to set our hearts and our minds upon the things that are above because we, we've become citizens of the kingdom, not citizens of the world. So we need to set our minds and our hearts upon things above where Jesus is, not upon the things of this world. That doesn't mean that, that the possessions we have in our lives and, and successes and comforts are bad. But as we talked last week, it means that they're second things. They're second things that sometimes compete to become first things. But the first things in our lives need to be the things of God if we have our hearts and minds set upon him first and foremost. Now, in keeping with this familiar pattern, as if you hear somebody say the words ready, if you hear someone then say the word set, you know that the next word about to come at any moment is the word go, which is where we find ourselves today. Now, sometimes when you hear that ready, set, go, it is accompanied by the sound of like a, like a starter's pistol. Or it could be accompanied by somebody walking up to you, tapping you on the shoulder, looking you in the eyes and saying, it's go time. Now, that's a phrase that perhaps a lot of us are familiar with, that, that idea of, of tapping somebody on the shoulder. You probably are familiar with it. You've probably experienced it in different areas of your life as well, whether literally or figuratively. You know, literally somebody may have thought they were funny, playing a joke on you, and they come up beside you, and they, they stand on your left, but they tap you on the right to make you think there's someone over there because they're a funny wise guy, right? It's not, we all have done that. It's not that funny of a joke for some reason. We all do it, though. So there's the literal tap on the shoulder that happens. You may have also had a little tap on the shoulder as you were talking in class, and the teacher walks up behind you, and, and they want you to stop talking, and they want you to pay attention. Perhaps you've been in an office environment where a management position opens up, and the discussion around the office is, who is the boss going to tap on the shoulder to take the next role, to, to get the promotion? Maybe you've been sleeping soundly one night, and there's a tiny little finger who comes in and 
taps you on the shoulder, and as you open your eyes and you see your precious little daughter there looking you in the face, and she goes, I'm going to throw up, right? <laughs> We've all probably had these experiences if we have, if you have young ones, that tap on the shoulder. A critical time in the game. When the coach comes alongside and taps you on the shoulder and puts you into that critical moment to make a difference, to be a game changer that happens. Or when you're walking out of a department store and a security guard comes up and taps you on the shoulder because they want to ask you questions about the unpaid merchandise that's in your pockets. These are all ways that I have been tapped on the shoulder in my life. And whether literally, figuratively, they've all ways that I've experienced in my life. And in every case, whether it's in sports, whether it's in work, whether it's in something else, it's always meant, to, number one, to get a change, to, uh, to get your attention to lead to a change of activity. To get your attention that leads to a change of activity. Winston Churchill was quoted as having said this. He said, To each there comes a special moment when they are tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do something very special. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified for that which could have been their finest hour. If you are ready, and if you are set, and if you do not just sit and let the moment pass you by, Jesus offers you the opportunity to do something very special, to do something very important, and that is to join him in his mission of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, we talked a few weeks ago how in Mark chapter 1, Jesus had his own ready, set, go moment. And if you missed any of those series, you can go to our website, westmeadows.org. You can also go to uh, iTunes, or you can go to Google Play, and you can subscribe to the podcast there, and you can listen to them. You can even watch them off the website. And we talked about how this ready, set, go moment for Jesus started when John the Baptist came to prepare the way, we're told, to, to ready people's hearts for what was to come to get them ready for it. And then Jesus arrives on the scene and, and there's this getting set for ministry as, as he's baptized by John and the voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Follow him, listen to him. And then he's sent off into the wilderness for a time of temptation as he's set, prepared for ministry. But then from that moment on as he emerges in, in Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15, it says that it was go time for Jesus. There's this clear change of activity, this clear change of movement as he comes to get our attention. And now a summary of what that activity looked like is found in, in Matthew chapter nine actually, which is gonna be a bit of a central passage for us today. So if you wanna open your Bibles to a passage we're gonna look at a little bit today, it's Matthew chapter nine, starting in verse 35. So you find that on your, on your phones or in your Bibles there. If you haven't got one, Pew Bible in front of you has it. It's on page 790. And as you turn to that passage, we see that it says this. Jesus went throughout all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every, <clears throat> every disease and sickness. Now, from this verse, we see a wide and varied way in which Jesus went about his public ministry. It talks about how he traveled broadly throughout the regions to all sorts of people. And as he came to a town, he would enter into a synagogue. Now, these synagogues were, were central to the communities. They were central to the social fabric of the areas. And because he was known as a rabbi, it gave him access. It gave him open doors where he could go in and be amongst the people as a leader. Even though he was somewhat unknown at the time, he was growing in notoriety, but he could show up at a town where he wasn't known. But as a rabbi, he could enter the synagogue and he could teach. 
And what was he teaching? He was teaching them with, with, with these lessons that they looked at and said, well, this is new. He's teaching with new authority. And it was lessons that captivated their hearts and captivated the minds of all the people. Things like the, the Sermon on the Mount, for example, where Jesus makes what kind of amounts to this kingly address to all of his subjects and explains what he expects of the citizens of his kingdom what their character should look like, what the relationship towards others should look like, how it would feel in, in the, the alignment to be committed to him fully and what it looks like to advance the kingdom purposes. These are the things that he was teaching. But as he's traveling and as he's teaching, the central purpose for what he was doing was to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's that core message from back in Mark 1.15 where he said the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. How do you enter it? You repent and you believe the good news. What was that good news? Well, the good news was that God had now provided a means of relationship where, where before God and man were separated because of sin, that through the work, through, the, through the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they could now be in relationship with each other. That citizenship in heaven in that sense, that the kingdom of God could reign in your heart had come near. That was the good news of the kingdom. And he was pronouncing to all of these people the good news of the kingdom. But he wasn't just revealing it with words. You see, as he traveled and, and as he encountered people, he was also revealing the kingdom of God in power as he would heal people. You see, wherever he went, he would come across those who were ill or who had different conditions and, and diseases. But in the presence of the kingdom of God, those powers had no control and they would melt away in the presence of Jesus and the kingdom that he was bringing. So as you can imagine, the word of Jesus would spread quickly. He had had this change of activity. He was ready, he was set, and off he went. It was go time on the mission. And as you can imagine, as he was teaching, proclaiming, traveling, healing, word of him would spread quickly to the point where everywhere he went, people would ask him, well, have you seen him? Do you know where he is today? What was the, what was the most recent thing he taught on? Have you, have you heard him yourself? Have you sat at his feet and listened? And the more he traveled and the more he taught and the more he revealed the presence of the kingdom of God, the more people came to follow him. But not just because they were fascinated, not just because they were hopeful to catch a miracle, because there was something in his message. There was something in his message that touched a part of their life that had been empty, that, that had been missing, that finally was being filled up. And so we find the multitudes are coming. They're wanting to sit at his feet and learn. They're wanting to consume what they can get from him. They want to grow under his guidance. And so everywhere he went, people are drawn to him. But he was drawn to them too. Because see, people were the motivation for his ministry. And we see this in verse 36 where it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless. They were, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now the word compassion we see here, this isn't sort of a, a, a passing, sentimental, fleeting thought. It's, it's not the type of thing where you see something at the side of the road and then you, as you drive on, you, you, you forget about it. It's not like when you see one of those gentlemen at the, at the intersection holding a sign asking for money and you think, oh, that's too bad. But the light goes green and we just kind of carry on. That's not the compassion we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is compassion where you are moved in the inward parts, where there's this deep feeling that just sticks in your heart, 
that you can't escape. And because it, it sticks in your heart, it moves you to have this deep desire to respond, to do something about it. This word compassion could be similar to what you could use to describe some of those, those animal rescue commercials you see on TV, you know the ones I'm talking about, where, where they start with kind of the close-up of the sad, pouty animal face, right? And then the Sarah McLaughlin song comes on, and after that plays for a little bit, then the, the gentle, empathetic voice of the announcer spells out the plight of these animals, I'm not suggesting that these are inappropriate commercials. We, as followers of Christ, need to be genuinely cared for all of creation. But here's the point. If you've ever watched one of these commercials or something similar to it, and you've actually contemplated and thought about picking up the phone and dialing the number and donating some money or sponsoring, if you've ever thought about being moved to action, you understand what this word compassion means here. It's not just a passing, fleeting thought. It's a, I have to do something. It's the sense that I need to enter into the problem. I've encountered an injustice, and something must be done about it. Now, the injustice that Jesus identifies is that these people are harassed and, and helpless. <clears throat> they have no one to stand up for them, no one to protect them, no one to care for them. And so Jesus uses a common metaphor from Israel's history. As he says, they're, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. Now, that was used quite often in different ways. It was used to refer to the relationship between God and Israel as God was their shepherd and, and they were his sheep. Uh, we're familiar with the imagery of Psalm 23, and how much more so would they be familiar with that imagery of Psalm 23, where the Lord is my shepherd. He, he leads me to safe places, to safe pastures, to calm waters. He leads me to these places of peace. Now, the great leaders of the past, like, like Moses and Joshua, they knew that this was part of their job description. This was part of the purpose for which they had been put into a leadership role for Israel. As Numbers 27, 17 tells us, that, that they were put into these roles so that the Lord's people would not be like sheep without shepherds. But the current leaders of Israel at the time did not follow through on those responsibilities. And because they didn't follow through, the people, the multitudes, were harassed. They are harassed by the occupying powers of Rome who would, who would steal from them and abuse them and oppress them and keep them down so that these people that Jesus is having compassion towards, they basically live their lives in fear under this occupying power. But their leaders, instead of, instead of caring for them and defending the people, they kind of heaped insult upon that in addition by taking advantage of them and piling heavy burdens upon them. They had no one to help them. They had no one to help them with their daily concerns with the heartbreaks that are common to life, with the difficulties that beat down upon a person day in and day out. They had no one to lead them to green pastures, to those quiet, still waters. No one to offer them compassion and comfort and protection. Perhaps there's seasons in your life where you feel like you are harassed and helpless, and you long for a shepherd to lead you to those places. Well, in that moment, Jesus comes and appears on the scene with his shepherd heart on full display for all the people. And he stands in the gap. He stands in the gap between those who are hurt and the comfort that they need. He stands in the gap between the lost who need to be found, the outcast that needs to be loved. He stands in the gap between the helpless who are trying to endure the burdens of life alone and the blessings that can come from becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God. He sees the people. He has compassion upon them, and he is moved to action. 
But what do you think that action was? What was that action he was moved to? He looks out and he sees all of these great needs that exist in front of him. And then he sees his followers sitting at his feet, listening, learning. And he taps them on the shoulder in that moment. See, up until this time, if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew gives us the impression that Jesus has been on a solo mission. It's just Jesus, and people are following along, and the crowds are growing, but, but he's out in front by himself. He's gaining lots of followers, sure, but it's him on the solo mission. And for a time, it's fine for people to come and watch and listen and, and to take in what Jesus is saying and to see what he's doing. But now he's drawing their attention to the problem that's out there, and it's time to mobilize his followers. And so he says this to them in verse 37 and 8. He says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. In this case, one. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Now the harvest he's talking about here are the followers. The crowds that he sees have so much physical and spiritual need. And he invites his followers to, to see them with his eyes. He invites his followers to, to start to adopt his shepherd heart for these people. To, to share in the burden, to share in the sense of responsibility for the multitudes, to see them as those who are lost without a shepherd. Now the followers who were sitting there, the ones who kind of understood what Jesus was saying, they may have, may have thought to themselves for a second, wait, whoa, wait, like where do we start? There is so much hurt. There is so much need. There is so much that needs to be done out there in those masses, and there are so few of us. You know, at times when I stand up here and I, I look out upon a congregation, at times when I sit in my office and I contemplate the, the, the size and scope of our community, it can be overwhelming. And, and I think to myself, where do we start? And knowing my personality and tendency, my thoughts start to race ahead of me. And I can turn kind of inward a bit and become self-reliant and go, well, if we got a big job ahead of us, sooner is better than later. Let's just get at it. Let's go. But what does Jesus say to do? Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. You see, in that phrase, he tells us what we need to do first. He says, the first thing you need to do, once you see it, once you have eyes to see, once you have a heart that cares and is moved to respond, the first thing you need to do is get on your knees and pray. Because at some point, you have to get up and you have to go but not before you're prepared, not before he gives you the full orders. Have you ever had an experience in your life where you start to give somebody a task and you start to explain the steps and you get partway through and they go, got it, boss, and then they take off and try to execute that task without all the instructions? I'm guilty of this sometimes. I, I'm one of those guys that thinks instructions and directions are suggestions, and they're, they're, they're there just in case, kind of plan B type stuff. This uh, came to fruition one night in a wonderful way when I thought, you know what I should do for Nadine? She loves lemon meringue pies. So I'm going to bake her a lemon meringue pie while she's out. And when she comes home, there'll be this glorious pie ready for her to just cut into and enjoy. So I went and I did sort of a, a quick reading of the instructions to make sure I had the right ingredients. And, and sure enough, I did. I had, I had the, uh, the eggs for the meringue and the sugar, and I had the filling, and there was a crust in the freezer. So I thought, hey, we're good to go. 
So I pull it all out and I start getting it ready. And so I know what I need to do. I didn't really read the instructions fully. I kind of knew what it needed to do. I know I need to mix the filling. I need to put that filling into a cooled crust. I need to add the meringue on top and, and, and then do the little spiky things that you have to do with the meringue, right? And then you cook it. So that's exactly what I do. And I'm looking at this beautiful pie in the oven. And I, I'm like a little kid, just looking in, watching it brown, and the peaks are getting darker because I want to take it out at just the right time. So then I pull it out, and it is gorgeous, like, like Pinterest-worthy of putting it up there. So I leave it on the counter for Nadine to come home. Very, very proud of myself. So she comes home. She cuts into it, and she's trying to take a piece out, and it won't come out. And then she looks at me, and she goes, did you cook the crust? And it's in that moment I realized that a cooled crust that has been cooked is different than a thawed crust. See, I thought cooled crust meant, we'll just let it not be frozen anymore, and then it'll cook while it's in the oven with all the toppings and stuff. No, apparently that's what you call heating it through, not cooking it. And so uh, it went from a piece of pie to uh, pudding <laughs> at that point. You see, now that's an easy problem to fix. You can fix my problem with the pie by giving me a little more instruction. You can overcome that with a little more preparation. But there's a more serious issue. See, if you give somebody a task... And, and they just don't follow through on the steps, you can give them more training. You can help them get more prepared. But if you give somebody a task and they just stare back at you and don't go, that's a more serious problem. Or if you give somebody a task and you explain all the steps to them, and worse yet, they choose to substitute their own will, their own plan for yours, that's a bigger issue. That's a bigger challenge. And I think that's probably a bigger challenge that Jesus experienced that day when he tapped his followers on the shoulder and said, look at the people. Look at the needs. Do you have eyes to see them? Do you have a heart that demands that you go to action? We don't know. But we do know from history in the early church and we know history in the current church that sometimes the most common response is just to sit and stare back. Paul had a problem similar to this in the church in Corinth where it reached a point where people had started to follow their own wisdom, uh, substitute their own leaders, their own plans, their own ideas in place of, of what God's were. And so Paul had to address them, remind them of the order of things. And he said this in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, I, Paul, I, I've planted the seed. Paulos, your other leader here, he, he watered it. But it is God who has been making it grow. So neither I who was doing the planting nor Apollos over here who was doing the watering or anything. We're not anything because we have no wisdom. We have no plans that are superior to God's. Only God is the one who can make a life grow. And he says, therefore, we are co-workers in God's service. We are co-workers together with Jesus Christ on the mission that is in service to God. You see, God is the Lord of the harvest that we're told to pray to. God is the Lord of the harvest who knows the plans for each person, for each church, and when we want to start to move and go forward, first things first, we need to pray. Because we need to reach out and speak to him who is the Lord of the harvest. It is his field. It is his harvest. It is his plan. 
That is why over the last, what amounts to about 18 months, the next team that was formed, members of the congregation that formed this next team, that is why we spent so much time praying and researching and talking and trying to carefully discern what has God been preparing us for? What has he ordained us for? What does he want us to be? What does he want us to go forth and do for his kingdom purposes? I could ask all of you right now, what are your ideas? I could share with you what my ideas are, but those are secondary to what his ideas are because he is the Lord of the harvest. And we need to seek him first. And we have taken a long time doing that, longer than I thought it would take, but it was necessary because that is the first step. And I can't tell you how excited I am in the weeks ahead to start to unpack for you what has been discerned in our mission, vision, and values. And part of that is what we're going to talk about at Connections Camp. We're so excited to reveal to you what we collectively as leaders of this church who have talked to so many of you and those in the community and spent time praying have discerned God has in store for us in the days ahead. But we can no longer sit still. We can't just stare back. We can't just substitute our own will because we have received this call to action. And that's what I want you to understand today is that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you consider West Meadows to be your home church, then you're being tapped on the shoulder today because the harvest all around us is plentiful, but the workers are few. So we need you. We need you to have eyes to see the field. We need you to have a heart to care for those who are harassed by life, who are feeling that they are helpless and, and need a hand up, maybe even need a hand out. We need you to ask, what would it look like to not just sit and consume religious activity, but to join Jesus in his activity, in his mission to reach those who need to know him? We do not go forth on a mission of our own creation. We do not go forth on a mission or a message of our own wisdom. We don't go forth under our own power. We go forth in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ. That is our focus. That is why we start this year talking about the kingdom of God before we ever talk about us. Before we talk about what our mission is, what our vision, what our values is, we talk about the kingdom of God because we are seeking it from him and it is all about him and for him which is why we start where we started this year. Now, if you were to keep reading in this passage in Matthew when you get to chapter 10, you'd find that Jesus does send out his disciples in authority. And he gives them this command in verse 7 and 8. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Does that sound familiar at all? If you've been tracking with us through this series, you, you might connect some dots here and see that what he's saying in verse 7 and 8 here is essentially the same message and essentially the same process that Jesus had followed when he had this change of activity. And he now invites us to come be co-laborers in the exact same mission, in the exact same ministry. He says to them, this is the mission I've been on and I'll invite you to join me in the same mission. The mission we've been on is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, that it has come near. And that all <clears throat> who turn from their own way to the kingdom ways and believe that that is better for them, that life with Jesus is better, will be saved and will be brought into that kingdom. He says, I send you forth in the same power and the same authority of the kingdom that I have been going out in. 
Remember we talked about how God's kingdom exists in the sovereign reign overall from the small to the grand, from the near to the far. His kingdom reigns. Sovereignty exists overall, but he has permitted other kingdoms to exist for a time. And so in these next verses, he's saying, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. These are examples of other kingdoms that he has permitted to exist right now. But when they are in the presence of the kingdom of God, they have no power. He's saying the kingdom of God has power and sovereignty over these things. And so you go forth in the power of the kingdom. You have authority over sickness, over death. You can go forth with a message for those who are outcast and those who are deceived. Because those kingdoms are lies and they will fail in the face of the kingdom of God. And you go forth in the same heart. To go forth in the same heart to have the eyes to see people. To have the heart of the shepherd. So those who don't know the shepherd can be found and can find the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. You know, there was a time when all of us were like sheep without shepherds. Before we knew the name Jesus, before we entered into a relationship with him. But then God sent harvest hands to each and every one of us. It may have been a parent, a friend, a pastor. It could have been somebody on your university campus who was, who was just trying to proclaim truth. But God sent somebody who was harvest hands to you. And they revealed the good news of the kingdom of God to you. And I hope that you invited, accepted that invitation to enter into that kingdom. And in that moment, you also experience the freedom that comes from the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Because when you accepted that, you freely received the love, grace, and truth of God. You see, you may not have been seeking after it, but it was seeking you. And that's what it means to freely receive the love of God. You didn't earn it, and you didn't deserve it. But that's what it means to freely receive the grace of God. And you are growing in your understanding of it and your experience of the power of the kingdom as it changes your life. And that's freely receiving the truth of God. Therefore, in the same manner, we go forth as co-laborers with Jesus Christ to freely give to those all around us the love, grace, and truth of Jesus Christ. So as I close here today, I want to invite you if you would do something for me. I want to ask if you would take a moment, turn to a person beside you, and tap them on the shoulder. Go ahead and do it. Now turn to your second choice. <laughs> tap them on the shoulder. That's your cue. That's your cue. It's your cue to first pray. To pray that God would send out harvest workers into our community and into our schools and into our offices. And if you feel that tap on the shoulder and if you get on your knees and pray about it, there's a good chance that he will send you. He will send you to the places where you live, where you work, where you play, the places where you have influence. But you face a choice in that moment. And the choice is, will you choose to substitute your own will? To substitute your own plan? Or will you submit yourself to the plan of the Lord of the harvest? You have a choice to say, will I sit and just continue to consume religious activity or will I join Jesus in his activity? It's a choice that faces all of us. Whether or not we will get in the game or not. Whether we'll have eyes to see and a heart to come alongside and a conviction to share the love, truth, and grace of Jesus Christ. And as the worship team comes to join me up here, I want to remind you of this. Is that you are not in this alone. 
you're in it with many, many other co-workers that are around us. But also don't forget that it is not all on you because you may be called to plant a seed, you may be called to nurture and water a seed, but it is God who makes it grow. God alone is the one who can change a life. God alone is the one who can bring a person from, from living in sin to living in freedom. He alone is the one who can change your eternal destiny. He can change yours too. If you've never made that profession of faith, if you've never accepted that invitation, he can make that change in your life today. Because Jesus not only came to reveal the kingdom of God, he not only came to bring it near, he came to be the way that we could enter into it. You see, where he paid the price for our sin upon the cross, the sin that, that all of us have, we know, we, we know we've all fallen short of God's glory, of his perfect will and perfect character. We've all fallen short of that, and because we fall short of it, there's this gap that exists between us and God. But Jesus came to reveal that kingdom of God had come near because Jesus bridged the gap. And if we will place our faith in him, if we will accept that he came to not just reveal the kingdom, but to make a way to enter into the kingdom and to say, yes, life is better with Jesus than the life I'm living without. If we will make that profession of faith, if we will believe that in our hearts and profess it with our mouths, Jesus says, all who acknowledge their sin, all who believe in his forgiveness and confess it will be saved. And that can be your reality today if it's not currently already. Following the service here, we're going to sing a song, and then afterwards we'll have people at the front here to pray with you. And I invite you to come forward. Talk to myself, talk to one of our prayer people. We would love to enter into a prayer with that, with you, or anything else that's happened in your life that we can help you with. So with that, would you please stand and join me in a closing word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that, that we can feel the readiness, that we can have our minds set upon the things above, the things that are of you and of your glory. I pray, Lord, that we would have this sense as we, as we go out into the world in a few moments that we would have these new eyes that we didn't have when we walked in, a new sensitivity, a new awareness of the needs that exist around us, that we would have this compassion in our heart that says, I have to do something, and that something is Jesus, that we would know the difference he makes in our life, that we would long to see him make a difference in others' lives. They would meet the needs of those who perhaps around us are harassed and helpless in life. For those here, Lord, who may acknowledge those words in their own lives, I pray for them. That, that the shepherd that is walking with them and guide them would protect them, would provide for them, would give them comfort and peace in these moments, that they would know the heart of the shepherd, that they would experience that they could go forth and share that with others as well. We thank you, Lord, that you have been doing a work among us and in us, that you have a great history of, of past faithfulness and you have a great future for us as well. As we go forth, and the mission and vision that you have in store for us here at West Meadows. We pray this all in Jesus' name, whom we proclaim to be your Son and our Savior.